Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today we've got a crazy story of getting a former best friend expelled from school. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, I gave my step-grandmother a taste of her own medicine. When I met Grandma Julia, or more accurately, Step-Grandma Julia for the first time, I thought she actually liked me. I would soon find out that I was oh so horribly wrong. That woman made my life a living heck, and that makes me regret nothing of what I did to her. However, before I get ahead of myself, let me give you a little context to who Granny Julia is and why I had to sort her out. When I was four years old, my parents got divorced. No, it wasn't messy, and no, it wasn't as a result of something scandalous. My parents just realized that they'd grown apart and were no longer really in love anymore, so they ended it. Their divorce was as amicable as you could hope for. There was no resentment, no bickering. In fact, they remained good friends, and even though my mom got custody of me, my dad remained a constant part of my life. My parents were so chill about their divorce, many people doubted that they were in fact divorced. I was perhaps the only child of divorced parents in my school whose parents were in good terms, or at least I was the only one I knew. In ninth grade though, my mom started dating. My dad didn't seem to mind, he had started dating almost immediately after he and my mom split up, but I was a bit freaked out about it. That was until my mom started dating Tom. To put it basically, Tom was awesome. He was sweet and thoughtful and goofy. He didn't have an ounce of meanness in him and I was always excited to see him. Tom was also a single parent. His wife died in an accident months after his daughter Sophie, who was almost exactly a year younger than me, had been born. He had almost single-handedly taken care of her and brought up one of the coolest people I've ever met. I got so attached to Tom and Sophie that my dad joked once that it seemed like I'd replaced him. Eventually, about a year after they started dating, Tom finally proposed to my mom. I was really excited. The way I saw it, I'd hit the jackpot. I'd get to have an amazing father and an amazing stepdad in one lifetime. So when Tom told us his parents were coming over for dinner in a few days, I couldn't wait to meet them. If they were anything like their son, I'd be even luckier. The evening of the dinner with Tom's family, Sophie drew me aside and told me she had something important to tell me. I was a little confused, but I gave her my attention. Sophie told me that her grandmother was a little intense and might not like me so much. I knew she wasn't giving me the full gist, so I pressed her for more info. After a while of telling me she just had a feeling, she finally caved and told me she'd eavesdropped on a phone call between her grandma and Tom, where she mentioned that my dad was over to pick me up for the weekend. She had apparently reacted negatively and claimed that I wasn't to be trusted and that my dad would probably use me as a tool to attack him and Sophie. Tom had laughed it off and assured his mother that there was no way that was possible, but Sophie still felt that she was prejudiced against me. I felt touched that Sophie would have my back like that, and I told her I'd try my best to impress Julia. When Tom's parents arrived, I was on my best behavior. I was as polite and courteous as possible. 
So when I noticed Julia smiling at me in the middle of dinner, I had a little mental celebration that I had somehow salvaged her opinion of me. A few minutes later, Tom mentioned that school would soon put in for the sessions and his mom suggested Sophie and I spend some time with them. I thought that was a swell idea and I agreed to it, but Sophie wasn't exactly sold on the idea. She kept passing me glances as if she were trying to send a message to me, but I couldn't figure out what was wrong. As far as I was concerned, things were going great. But when Tom's parents were about to leave, his mom walked close to me and whispered in my ear, I know what you are and I won't let you hurt my family. Then she smiled sweetly and acted like nothing happened. That was when I realized she was truly out for me. After they had gone, I spoke to Sophie about what had happened. She told me she knew her grandmother had put a mark on my back and that was why she was trying to signal to me to reject the invitation. This was really upsetting and honestly a bit scary, but I was determined to make the best out of a bad situation. Summer break at Julia's place was heck. The moment I walked in and saw Julia with that evil smirk, I knew I was in for a rough time. There were a lot of accidents. My food would mysteriously have a cockroach in it, and the room I stayed in also had an alarm clock that would randomly go off. There was also the incident where one day I was locked in while everyone else had gone out for a fun time at the amusement park. Julia told Sophie that I said I wasn't feeling too well and decided not to come along. The only positive thing about the visit was the fact that I had Sophie with me. She sympathized and comforted me and even suggested I take a few hits at Julia. But I insisted that I was going to take the high road, no matter how low Julia tried to go. It seemed that Sophie wasn't exactly close with her grandmother. After two weeks of absolute heck, my mom picked Sophie and I up and we went home. I tried to explain to Tom and my mom that Julia had it out for me, but they brushed it aside and said I was probably just paranoid. A few weeks after our horrid visit to Tom's parents, him and my mom took their vows and my family officially got a little wider. My dad and his girlfriend had been invited to the wedding, and I'd been glad to see them. Julia, now step-granny Julia, clearly did not share the sentiment. She had complained repeatedly that it was wrong for my dad to be there, and had even almost walked up to him to tell him to leave. It was only after Tom had pulled her aside and let her know he wanted my dad there that she grudgingly accepted to let things be. She still repeatedly gave him, and for some reason me too, stink eyes. At the reception right after, Julia then proceeded to get tipsy and tell anyone with working ears within a 10 meter radius of her that she felt my dad and I were planning something fishy and she was scared for her son's life. She also called us some pretty colorful names. And things quickly got a bit messy when my dad, who'd been listening the whole time, angrily confronted her after she called me a little witch. At the end of it all, he had left angrily and the rest of the reception, I got weird looks from the guests. At that moment, I think it became clear to my mom and Tom that I'd been telling the truth when I told them Julia had it out for me. They told me they'd sort it. Sorting it ended up being them telling Julia that if she couldn't accept me, She couldn't contact the family. Julia had also angrily left with her husband in tow. I felt really happy that my family stood up for me like that, and I hoped that I would never have to see Julia's face ever again. I saw Julia again just eight months later. She had come to visit. As part of the deal with my mom and Tom, she'd agreed to apologize to my dad and I, and so we planned a big family dinner. 
After dinner, we had a candid conversation with Julia. She apologized for causing a scene at the wedding reception, and my dad and I made things clear that we weren't conspiring against any member of her family. My dad was just around a lot because he's a good father, and everyone was fine with that. She said she could see that now, and we all played charades and laughed together. That should have been the end of it, right? The end that goes, and they all lived happily ever after, right? Wrong. We didn't know it yet, but all the things said that day didn't register with Julia. She just said what she thought we'd want to hear so she could get close enough to the family to execute her plans. Now, Julia was expected to spend a little over a month with us, and for the first week and a half, nothing went wrong. To be honest, I was a bit careful around her at first, waiting to see if she would pull any stunt. When she didn't, I became more open and related more with her. And then one day, when I was least expecting it, she struck. Now, I have a severe nut allergy. Whenever I go to eat, I always check to see if there's nuts in their meals before I eat. It was something I took seriously, and I had a couple of EpiPens stashed around the house, and always left the house with one just in case. Now, when I'd visited Julia before, I had told her about my nut allergy, so there wasn't any need to tell her about it again during her visit. However, my mom insisted on telling her again just to make sure there was no mistake. I was even there when she spoke to her about it. She said that she understood, so when she showed up to my room one evening with a plate of what seemed to be chocolate chip cookies, I had no reason to suspect that there was any funny business going on. Smiling, she told me that they were perhaps the most delicious cookies I'd ever taste, and I giggled responding that I'd be the judge of that. So I grabbed the plate and she left immediately. I didn't hear the door lock as she left. I didn't see that she had somehow previously jammed the mechanical part of the window latch. I also didn't know earlier that day she had snuck into my room and taken the EpiPen I always keep in my drawer. I just took big bites of the cookies, which were actually really delicious, might I add, and then discovering too late that there were nuts in them. As I gasped for air while my throat closed up and my lips swelled, I tried to find my EpiPen. When I couldn't find it in my drawer, I repeatedly tried to open the door to get into one of my mum's medicine cabinets. When that failed, I tried the window. After trying as hard as I could while my throat just kept getting more restricted, I realized what Julia had done. I didn't care about that though, I just wanted to find a way out of the room. Scared that I'd be part of the 0.3% of people to die from anaphylaxis, I tried to take deep breaths while I banged on the door repeatedly. Hopefully Sophie, whose room was beside mine, would hear and come help. Just as I was losing hope, Sophie burst in. Looking at me and then the cookies, she seemed to get what had happened, and less than a minute later she was back with an EpiPen. While I sobbed as I recovered, Sophie told me this couldn't go on and I really had to do something. That was when we really started to plan my revenge. Now that I think about it, it was pretty dumb of Julia to try to trigger an allergic reaction while also being allergic. Sophie told me that her grandmother was allergic to bee stings. Now, we couldn't just find a bunch of bees and throw it at her, that would be so obvious. It would be silly. However, with a little research, God bless the internet, I discovered that we didn't have to have a bee sting her to trigger an allergic reaction. I bought a syringe and a vial of hyaluronidase, which is the component in bee stings that makes people allergic online. When it arrived, Sophie and I thought of a way to inject it into her. 
Do we just run right at her and poke her, or do we tranquilize her and inject her with it? In the end, we decided to wait till she slept on the couch while watching TV, which she did a lot. When we noticed she was out cold midway through watching The Resident, I slowly injected her, barely breaking past her skin. We immediately went into our rooms to avoid suspicion. Julia's reaction was worse than anything I had seen. Even after Tom and my mum had administered her with an EpiPen shot, her face continued to swell and her breathing was labored. She could barely talk and we had to call 911 and for a second, I was so scared that I almost confessed about what we had done. After managing to stabilize her at the hospital, the doctors insisted that they admit her for a day to monitor her and make sure she doesn't have another reaction. She looked so pale she could have passed for Dracula. After staying with her a few hours, we decided to go home and come check on her and hopefully discharge her too. The next day, when we had gotten to the reception, I said I'd forgotten something back at Julia's bedside so I left everyone and went back. The moment I walked in and she saw my face, it dawned on Julia what had happened. I walked up to her and told her, if you ever mess with me again, I'll make sure you look fondly on this incident. Are we clear? I didn't wait to receive a response before I walked out. The look on her face, mortified and scared, was completely worth it. After Julia came home from the hospital, she cut her visit short and went home. I haven't seen her since then, and I'm sure if we were ever to meet again, she wouldn't dare try anything funny with me again. I mean, I get wanting to have revenge, but going and ordering syringes and chemicals? Maybe inflicting severe allergies is not the way of getting revenge. It is pretty nuclear, though. Our next story is, my best friend had punished me, so I got him expelled from school. I have known Mike for the longest time. So, of course, it came as a huge shock that he caused my young secondary school life to be a miserable affair, which affected my trust issues even into adulthood. The hardest part about it is that we've been close friends for a very long time. We're both kids of military disciplinarian parents that were posted to the same barrack town. We're also close neighbors in the same high-rise building. In fact, our houses were separated by mere feet. We hit it off quite well. We were two troublesome little boys. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. 
I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that after finishing a small questionnaire will match you with a licensed therapist where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. As thick as thieves, we would often play together on the PS4 my parents got me for my ninth birthday, or sometimes we would play at his backyard pool. If we weren't doing that, we would be causing our neighbors trouble, as befits two little boys with too much energy. We also attended the same primary school. During that period, our bond was strong. It seems that nothing could separate such a strong friendship. Little did I know, that was very wrong. It all started in secondary school. Our no-nonsense military fathers thought it wise for both of us to be enrolled in an all-boys military secondary school that was complete with mostly stern military men and women that took perverse pleasure in inflicting pain on young men. We obviously didn't like the idea of being sent to live with bitter military personnel, or more importantly, being deprived of female companionship. However, we also knew it was a bad idea to argue with any of our respective parents, who couldn't see the pain they would cause their little boys. It wasn't an ideal situation, but our closeness made it all worth it. Mike had my back as much as I had his, and this kept us through the hard times of the first three years of attendance in the military-run school. Then there was the incident that involved a beautiful girl named Jennifer. Jennifer went to the female equivalent of his school, and he met her for the very first time at the zoo when their classes were on a joint excursion, the first in a series of intra-school activities between both male and female schools. As soon as I saw her, I knew I needed to talk to her, and I did, albeit briefly. She was the class coordinator for her class, which meant she was busy. The ambient zoo noise didn't help either. It's hard to hold a conversation when monkeys are screeching at the top of their lungs. She wasn't snobbish or rude, and she smiled a lot when we talked. It was a good smile, one that I remembered for a while. The excursion itself was not a lengthy affair. When both schools returned to their respective locations, I was left with the bitter aftertaste that comes with the regret of not taking your chance with your crush. I didn't even get her number. I felt bad about this and told my best friend, expecting some encouragement. Mike only made matters worse by discrediting Jennifer. I know that girl. Forget her. She changes boyfriends like clothes. And you'll be another victim. I thought it was weird though. I could not reconcile the sweet Jennifer and who Mike described. However, I was so discouraged that I took Mike's warnings and put her out of my mind as much as I could. I managed some measure of success in this with the help of a rigorous end of the third year in the school. I would later meet Jennifer at one of the several parties that was organized by the boys and girls of both schools. Jennifer looked even better than she did the last time I saw her. However, I hesitated to talk with her because I recalled Mike's warnings. When she noticed me, she greeted me with the warmest smile ever, and at that point, I was more than willing to go against Mike's warnings and 
Darn the consequences. Jennifer's personality was just as nice as her beautiful face, if not better, and at the end of the night, we exchanged contacts. I didn't tell Mike about our encounter. I didn't want him to spoil the good vibe between me and Jennifer. I and Jennifer stayed in close contact from then on and eventually entered into a relationship, but Mike's warning still rang in my head and it bothered me so much that I went and did a little digging. I casually talked with some of her other friends and gleaned as much information as I could from them. I also asked around some guys that would typically know about her social circle. Each account had disputed what Mike had asserted about Jennifer. In contrast, I learned that she was quite conservative with her dating life and only had one estranged ex. That was a relief, yet something was off. What made Mike give such a false warning? I decided to ask Jennifer myself. She only laughed and said that Mike had tried to ask her out twice, but she turned him down. He's been bitter about it since then. She heard he spread such rumors just to spite her. Mike tried to ask her out after discouraging me from doing so, and then he went behind my back to try and get her and failed. He didn't stop there, but proceeded to spread stupid rumors. I thought this was spiteful and vindictive, talkless of his subtle betrayal. I confronted Mike the next day. I sprang the question on him. Mike, did you try to go after Jennifer after you told me lies about her? He was caught off guard by this direct question. The question was rhetorical. After all, the answer was written all over Mike's face. Mike then said that Jennifer had no right to reject him, also that I and Jennifer had no right seeing each other if he could not have her. I was shocked and hurt that my close friend would do that to me. So, out of spite, I revealed that I and Jennifer were now dating. The revolution got the reaction I was looking for. Mike got very angry and started calling me and Jennifer obscene names. This made me even angrier and I called him a few names of my own, which my mother would definitely not have approved of. We fought in earnest that day, with words and with fists. We both went home bruised. I had to lie to my parents that I'd fallen down a flight of stairs to explain the injury. But after a few weeks, my hurt passed and once again I wanted my best friend there. I wanted the guy that had my back throughout my first three years in secondary school. To my relief, Mike reached out to smooth things over just before the break ended. The apology was half-hearted and sounded insincere, but I still forgave him because I reasoned a lot of people get confused when it comes to the opposite sex, which made them do stupid things. This was perhaps the biggest mistake I made. As we resumed the second half of our fourth year, we were friends again with just a little underlying tension. I didn't consider he would be salty about Jennifer and would hit me where it hurt. We were back in school. Contraband items were at an all-time high in the school system. Cigarettes, food that wasn't served in the mess hall, and any electronic device that was not a phone were prohibited in school. This didn't bother me too much, and I generally steered clear of that mess. I mean, I was no saint. At this point, I had a few dealings with some contraband movers but nothing big enough to be on the school's authorities radar. Mike was a different issue. After the Jennifer incident, he'd been hanging out with some contraband movers, and then he began smuggling contraband to students. It was starting to seem the school authorities were getting close to catching him, and he was becoming desperate. I tried to warn him, but it just became another thing we fought about. Yet, I never even considered telling on Mike once even for the substantial reward that whistleblowers were given. However, what Mike did 
made me wish I had reported him. To steer attention that he was starting to get from the authorities, he decided to use me as a scapegoat and deflect attention away from himself. Mike initiated his plan on a Sunday. Everyone was out of the dorm for the compulsory chapel service, presided over by a wizened army man the boys nicknamed Priest, who also doubled as the chief disciplinarian of the school. I was dozing lightly through the sermon, wondering where Mike was. He wasn't at his usual chapel seat. Halfway, the priest stopped the sermon when another younger serviceman whispered something in his ear. After a moment, the priest made an important announcement. They had arranged a raid on the dorm rooms and had caught another contraband smuggler. It wasn't the first time this would happen. At any social gathering of students, from assemblies to classes and even in the school chapel, the school would take any opportunity to expose and punish student smugglers. Punishment was suspension with 12 lashes of the cane, in addition to some manual labor. It was a brutal combination made to embarrass the culprits unfortunate enough to get caught thoroughly. I felt sorry for whomever they had caught, even up to the moment when my name was called. OP, step forward. I made the short walk to the altar in dazed confusion. The priest called for some boys to bring something to the altar. It was my box, and it was filled with contraband materials. A whole lot of contraband materials. They definitely weren't mine. The priest announced that he'd received an anonymous note that implicated me. He waved around this piece of paper for the whole chapel to see. Being up front, I got a good view of the note. My breath caught when I saw the handwriting on the paper. I knew that handwriting anywhere. It belonged to Mike, no doubt about it. My heart sank at the realization. Mike had framed me in the perfect setup. He had access to their six-person dorm room, and he also had access to this type of contraband. Not everyone could pull off this kind of haul. I received punishment right there in the chapel before men, women, and God himself. The priest exchanged his Bible for the cane and went to work. The punishment hurt like heck. On the ninth hit of the cane, I raised my eyes that had been fixed on the floor, and the first thing I noticed was Mike sitting at his usual spot, where he wasn't just moments ago. Our eyes locked on the tenth hit of the cane, and when the eleventh struck, he smiled at me. The smile hurt way more than the last stroke of the cane. Then the hurt was replaced by burning rage. How dare he do this to me? Someone I considered my best friend. I knew he had never really forgiven me for Jennifer, and the opportunity to direct the school's authorities' attention from him was too much to pass up on. But to go this far and throw me under the bus was unforgivable. I was given the hard labor of clearing clogged gutters for the week. Then I was suspended for two more weeks. My clean record was gone, and I was thoroughly disgraced in front of everyone. I also got suspended from the basketball team. Even as I served my punishment, even my parents were scolding me in what would be the longest ride of my life. I took it all in stoic silence, and I plotted my revenge. Mike had been my best friend for years so it didn't take me too long to think of a plan. If Mike was going to frame me, then I would return the favor. When I returned from my suspension, I was equipped with all the tools it would take to help me carry out my revenge. The first thing I did was steal his student ID. Mike was no longer staying in our dorm room. He had transferred to another dorm and that was fine. I waited a few weeks, 
Then, one night, I snuck into his dorm room when he was asleep and stole his ID card. That same night, armed with my tools for revenge, I snuck into the principal's office. It was locked from the outside, so I used the maintenance hatch that was left open in the corridor to enter through the ceiling. After dodging a few spider webs and mice that had made a residence inside the ceiling, I reached the principal's office and crashed into it. I had done my research. Nobody patrolled this area till after 2am, which gave me an hour to do my business. More than enough time. The principal's office was a moderate room decorated with trophies, medals, and pictures of the achievements of both the school and the principal. Anyone that knew the principal knew that he cherished his office possessions. So I went to work. I smashed pictures and trophies, using the last two years basketball trophy as a pseudo baseball bat. I used a screwdriver and hammer to force open the drawers, and then I packed all of the contents of the drawer that looked valuable, which included a watch and some money. Then I took down the picture of the principal posing with an important figure, some senator or someone of big influence, and peed on it. Lastly, I dropped the ID card I'd stolen from Mike in a way that made it look like I'd forgotten it in a haste to get away. Then I left the way I came. I made a detour to the class area, unlocked Mike's locker with a combination he hadn't changed in four years of our stay in the school, and I dropped the principal's watch and money inside and locked it up. It was a long shot and there was a good chance it wouldn't work, but it was worth a try. It worked better than I expected. The principal had found Mike's ID card in his vandalized office. You'd also found his watch and money in Mike's locker after a thorough search of Mike's properties. The consequences were severe for Mike. After getting 15 strokes of a lean cane, he was expelled from the military secondary school. Mike's father also had to pay for the damages done to the principal's office. Before the end of the term, I heard Michael's family had to relocate because they couldn't find any local schools that would take him. To this day, no one knows I'm the one that vandalized the office. I caused my best friend to be expelled, and I do not regret it one bit. The things you do over competing for somebody you have a fondness for. This all happened because both of them were crushing on the same girl, ain't that crazy? But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy story of revenge, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.